Under the Tartan Sky, episode 45, produced 26 August 2017. Imagine your most crippling fear of everyday life. Perhaps it's riding a bike, maybe driving a car, or even public speaking. Now imagine that to overcome this fear, you challenge yourself dramatically to ride in the Tour de France, to drive at the Indy 500, or to host the Academy Awards. And imagine that you plan to do this only months after first ever having learned to ride, drive, or deliver a speech. Paula McGuire is a 30-something resident of Glasgow, Scotland, with a fear of water and a dramatic plan to overcome it. I'm Glenn Moyer, and with respect and apologies to Rod Serling, in a moment, you'll meet Paula McGuire and learn her amazing story here, Under the Tartan Sky. Caught up in the mystic and spellbinding saga that is Outlander? Wishing you could be swept away over the sea to sky? Why not come and visit Claire and Jamie's world? It's a land of standing stones, shimmering lochs, and great glens that stretch to the horizon and beyond. Outlander, whether in books or on TV, is Scotland. Come and visit the breathtaking landscapes, walk the historic castle grounds, listen for the skirl of the pipes through the thickening mists. You can travel through time when you visit and experience Scotland. Until a few years ago, Paula McGuire was an unremarkable individual in a city of more than 600,000 individuals who went about their daily lives in Glasgow, Scotland with little or no public notice or attention. Indeed, such attention was the last thing that Paula desired. She suffered from social anxiety, phobias, depression, mental health issues, and avoided contact with anyone outside of her small circle of family and friends almost at all cost. But in 2014, it was as if she stepped into a phone booth, changed into a superhero costume, and emerged as Paula Must Try Harder. I met Paula online about that time, just as she was emerging from her cocoon of worry and insecurity, and I was filled and overflowing with passion for all things Scotland after my first trip there. Today, she is a writer, motivational speaker, radio host, and regular contributor to BBC Radio. She also has experienced all 17 Olympic-style sports of the Commonwealth Games, has reveled in experiences from the everyday, like teaching and farming, to the surreal, like wing-walking and astronaut training, and more. Exactly how did this social recluse become a social butterfly, and along the way overcome anxiety and improve her mental health while grasping life by both horns and living it at full speed? And why now? Having only learned to swim a month ago, does she plan to swim the entire length of the mainland Britain coast in the open sea, some 1,800 miles? It's a story that only Paula can tell. And to fully understand it, you have to begin at the beginning. Paula back then was um, indoors all the time. She, She struggled to leave the house. She couldn't answer the phone. She couldn't Um, She certainly wouldn't have been speaking to you. Um, She couldn't go into a shop on her own. There were more things that old Paula couldn't do than than she could do. I was basically just a a functioning recluse. I could do all the things that I needed to do to make me a responsible adult so I could go to my work. Um, And I could just about see my family. But everything else had been completely cut out, had been completely shut down to the point that I was basically just living in four walls. That was my world. Everything outside of that was 
was just isolated from me. And that was all a result of social anxiety? Yeah, it was It was social anxiety for the most part. Um, I also had general anxiety. I had phobias. I had panic disorder and um, everything that comes with that. So things like depression naturally comes with comes with anxiety but for the most part it was it was social anxiety so a big fear of people um not fear for my life not fear that people were really bad or were going to hurt me in any way just really really fearful of other people's judgment of what they thought of me of making even the slightest mistake or faux pas socially that would um put my reputation in jeopardy or that would make people think think badly of me that that really controlled every interaction that I had and, and ended up controlling my entire life and were your friends aware of this you you say you were a functioning adult you were you would go to and from work each day yeah. did, did your colleagues at work know that you were uh, that that this was your life and that you were you were suffering from that or was it something that was more or less internalized it was something that I became really really adept at hiding because I had grown up with it. it. To me, it was just such a big part of me. It was it was everything. It was my entire personality was anxiety and nerves because I'd had it for such a long time. So people that had known me since I was a child just thought that that was who I was. So they, they possibly didn't think that I was suffering really badly as I was. They thought that that was just how I acted and, and, and who I was as a person. I've I've spoke now to a lot of people that um, that I knew in those years who had no idea that I was struggling so badly um, because you put in coping strategies, you know, you, you put in um, things to manage everything. So every little element of my life was micromanaged. Um, if, if we had a social event to go to, like a friend's wedding, if I hadn't managed to get my husband to lie to get me out of it and I had to go along, we would... We would go along a couple of days or a week beforehand. We would drive to the to the venue. I would look to see where all the exits were, where the toilets were, where I could sit, that people couldn't really see me. And and we would maybe do that a couple of times for each social interaction uh-huh. that I had that I had to go. So if you imagine the amount of time that that, that, that took up, um, not just for me, but for my family and supporting that. But it was one of the things that I really needed to do to be able to to be able to cope with a social interaction. But that that's that wasn't just for a big event. That could just be to to meet you, for instance, a friend for for a cup of tea. Uh-huh. Um, I would have to go the night before to see where where the the cafe was or where the venue was, and and everything just had to be to be managed. And then for about a week afterwards, I would worry myself sick that I had possibly offended you or that I had said something out of place that you maybe wouldn't want to meet up with me again even though I was terrified of you wanting to meet up again (laughs) and you know everything was so big and so difficult even the little things and I I don't mean to laugh but but that is I guess to a person (laughs) who can't who's never suffered with that it's difficult to appreciate that and 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 that sounds it does almost sound comical though I I certainly well know that it's not how does please please don't worry about laughing I I find myself laughing about it so much as well it's (laughs) It's just ridiculous the amount of time that I that I lost just worrying about these things that um, that didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And I certainly will be the first to admit that I know nothing about social anxiety or anxiety in general. Sure. When did this come on, and, and is there is there a cause for it? Is it something that simply developed in your early childhood years, or how did you come to be suffering this? For me, there's lots of different ways into anxiety for lots of lots of different people. And anxiety, you know, is a mental health condition. People people think that just being worried is anxiety, and it, it's not. Anxiety is so much bigger and so much more than that. It's a condition that I was dealing with. But as I said, for a long time, I thought that it was just part of my personality because I had had anxiety since I was four or five for you know for as long as I can remember. And, um, there was nothing, nothing really brought it on for me. I was, um, I'm really blessed with having a, a lovely family and and people who care about me. And I was I was really nurtured as as a kid and really lucky for that. But I was a really shy kid and I was really um, timid and I didn't like to speak to people. And and that's really cute 
you know, when you're when you're small and you're blonde and um, and you're you're four years old and you you know you hide behind your big sister and she speaks for you. That's that's adorable. So people would just go along with it. And my, my sister's really outgoing and gregarious, and she was quite happy to to speak for me. So it, it kind of just got built on and built on because if I didn't want to go to a party for you know that everyone else was going to my folks wouldn't make me go to it because they didn't want to cause me cause me stress so I wouldn't go so I never ever challenged that fear and I never really um allowed myself to to develop those social skills that that I really should have had and by the time that I was in my teen years I had developed lots of twitches and um and I had all this ner- nervous energy and and I just got bullied really really badly all through high school for it so when I was 16 and, and leaving school to go to university, I just didn't have any real social skills. So it just got worse and worse for me. Hmm. So suddenly you're in your 30s and yeah. you decide to break out of this. How did, <laughs> was there a moment, a day when you just woke up and said, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore? <laughs> I mean, I, I, and because I want to get into the, gla- the the Commonwealth challenges and the things you've done since yeah. then leading up to, obviously, the big swim. What was the motivation? Was there, a sim- was there a singular moment when you were inspired to say enough is enough? Or how did you start on the yeah. amazing journey you're on now? I would absolutely love to say that I just woke up one morning and thought, I'm going to do this. Um, here's to a new life. But it was it was a culmination of a, a long, long journey. I would never suggest to anyone that the first protocol for anxiety is to swim around the coast <laughs> or to to do all the sports. You know, I had seen every doctor that was that was available to me. I had um, I tried all the medication and um, and you know, and it kept me stable and it kept me going. But um, but I, I knew that I was just getting worse and no one else could really help me. I had, you know, I'd tried all the therapies and I'd, um, I'd been hypnotised. Nothing had, nothing had really taken. The only thing that I hadn't tried was something coming from me. Something that, um, to, to be able to rely on myself to get out of this would, for me, I thought maybe be the last port of call. And it was getting to that point that a drastic decision was going to have to be made. So, it was going to be hospitalisation, Glenn, or it was, or I was going to do myself some some real damage, and and I'm not, I would never say that lightly. That's just the situation as it was. So around the same time, as you say, the the Glasgow 2014 Commonwealth Games were coming to my my fair city, where I've always lived, and um, just a stone's throw away from me. And I thought it would be wonderful if some fool, some idiot just tries all the sports to see to see if to see if people can get involved in sport. And it quickly became clear that there was no other idiot that should be doing this than myself because I'd never tried a sport in my life, as you know. Um, because sports were performative and you had to go outside to try sports. So they terrified me. So it just seemed like this would be a great way of trying to reconnect with the world, of just trying to push myself out there to, to challenge the fear and to try and see if, if I could support myself through through the anxiety. So many of those sports are team activities, so you have to be closely yeah. involved with a group of people, uh, which, as you've already noted, you were terrified of. Yeah. Um, how did you go about putting that plan into motion? That's when you and I first connected, was in 2014 yeah. on Twitter, because I started reading about this crazy woman named Paula Must Try Harder <laughs> and doing all of these magnificent sports and, and hearing your radio interviews. And I thought it was brilliant. And, and I didn't know at the Thank time you. the story about, uh, obviously, your anxiety issues and how this was a part of a, um, a curative ep- episode for you. Um, yeah. So... I mean, okay, you have this idea, I'm going to go out and try all these sports, but, you know, that's like saying, well, I'm going to go try all the Olympic sports, and and (laughs) do you just phone up the Olympic Committee or the Commonwealth Games (laughs) Committee and say, hi, you don't know me from Adam, but I want to come out and play all these games? Um, Um, Do you know, know, it almost almost was like that, Glenn. (laughs) Um, I think there was, I was really lucky in that um, the idea came to me in a time when there was such a buzz around Glasgow about the games coming. You you know um that, that Glaswegians like to get behind their city and um and it just seemed that it was 
it was just the right time for this idea. So we set up the blog, Polymers Try Harder. My husband set that up just to hold me to account to def- so that I would definitely do it because once you've put it out there that you're going to do this, um, you know, people start to get involved and then and then you feel bad if you don't if you don't go ahead. So I started off really, really slowly with cycling because I thought that's such a solitary sport. You know, um, all I have to do is get a bike and go out my back garden and I'll be cycling in, in minutes. And that just didn't work out the way I planned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're 30-something and you'd never learned to ride a bike, which to me never. sounds, I mean, I spent half of my youth on a bicycle. And, and so that in itself is astounding. Yeah, as most people do, you know, um, my husband cycles, my sister cycles, everyone I know cycles, but I just never wanted to try it because it it could mean failure for me and I was terrified of failure. So I got this um, I got this bike and just didn't know what to do. And as much as my husband tried to, to teach me, um, it just wasn't working. So I had to go and approach a cycling centre and ask for lessons. And it took me about three weeks of sitting outside the cycling centre every night after work and say, and then going home and saying, oh, it was closed or, oh, they couldn't take me tonight and basically just lying because, <laughs> because I didn't want to go in. And then um, my husband, Jerry, took me by the hand one day and said, come on, if you're going to do this, you need to start. Um, and it was the best thing that we could have done because obviously they didn't laugh at me. Loads of adults learned to cycle. Um, and it took me a while to learn to cycle, I won't lie, but the day that it all worked, the day that the pedals went in the right way and um, and I was moving in the, the same direction as the bike was, it was the best feeling that I've, you know, I've experienced, that I had experienced in such a long time. Again, I, I don't mean to laugh, but your description is <laughs> no. just, is so wonderfully visual that, that I can't help <laughs> But um, but have a bit of a chuckle and 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 yet I, I can't imagine what an accomplishment that must have been um, yeah. for you. I, my le- my legs were black and blue, Glenn. I, I you know I was I was bruised and battered, but the point was that I kept going back, even though I kept falling off and it wasn't going my way. I kept going back, and that was the biggest lesson that I learned. You know that um, it doesn't matter how many times you fall off; it's the trying that matters. It's the getting back on. It's how you respond to those failures um, that will breed success. And eventually, after too long a time, it eventually did lead to success. And I still fall off my bike, but I still, you know, absolutely appreciate the joy of of being on my bike and, and being able to do it. I remember reading your your blog about your your cycling experience, and there were two. And you're a wonderful writer, and by the way, thank you. you are an absolutely thank you so much. Wonderful writer, but I, there are two descriptive phrases that stuck out. And one was when you were describing, as you said, your legs were battered and bruised. I, I think you said mm. something about they looked like a like a B grade boxer. I don't remember the exact <laughs> term, but you related it to uh, what a boxer's face looks like after. And then you talked about what, and, and it made me smile was you, you talked about the sheer glee of going downhill and, oh. and the wind just broadening your smile as you were yeah. going, literally just gliding downhill. And I thought that was a brilliant turn of a phrase. Thank you. It is utterly joyful being on a bicycle. Um, and you know, the only the only regret I think is that I didn't do it younger. You know that I didn't have those experiences when I was when I was young. But um, but I'll be back out on my bike again again tonight. I just utterly love it. And that going down a hill into the wind is there's nothing quite like that. You did go on to not only learn to cycle, but you did go on to do your challenge of, of trying all. Was it seventeen sports? Do I remember correctly? Seventeen. Yeah. yeah, seventeen. What were some of the sports that you participated in? Can you give us an idea? Things like wrestling and boxing, judo, triathlon, which I thought was really sneaky because they sneaked three sports into one <laughs> in that one. Um, gymnastics, uh, swimming, um, squash, netball, hockey, weightlifting. So loads of loads of really different sports in there. Loads of really terrifying sports for me. Was there not a, a rugby or something involved? <gasps> rugby sevens, yes. Yeah. And I did that with um, with the Scottish um, men's squad that were just about to go and take part in Glasgow 2014. They invited me along and, and taught me some rugby, 
which was a lovely day. I remember reading some of your reports about that, about being surrounded by all these big, hefty guys, and then you were out there <laughs> trying to play rugby with, with the, the was, Scottish team. I thought that was brilliant. It was fantastic. It was great. It was a glorious sunny day in Stirling. They, they train in Stirling, just in the um, in the shadow of the, the Wallace Monument there. So it, was, it couldn't have been more Scottish had we tried. And at the end, that was my final sport. Um, and at the end, they, they presented me with a, a Scotland rugby shirt with the 17 on the back of it. And I was just, I was utterly delighted. I don't know if I've ever been that proud. Wow. That sounds, that sounds brilliant. When you started this whole program of going public with your suffering and, and with the, the sports challenge, the Commonwealth Games challenge, did people buy into it? Did they understand or, or did you get a lot of people going, Hmm. Um, okay. Well, yeah. And just kind of maybe yeah. look at you cross-eyed. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they did. Thankfully, they didn't engage with me. <laughs> I had them. Um, I at the time when I started, um, when we first put up the blog, I was very careful not to mention my anxiety and things. I just wasn't ready to talk about that side of things. So I just put it out there as, you know, a clumsy fool who has never tried sport before, yeah. tries all the tries all the sports to see if there's if there's a sport for her. And and straight away lots of clubs and um, you know different sports people got in touch just to say we love that you're doing this um, because hopefully it will get other people that maybe aren't great at, at sport to just come along and give it a try and that's what I found I, I was basically so rubbish at sport that I was giving other people permission to go out <laughs> and be rubbish because they would never be as bad as me oh. so um so I ended up with lots of people saying you know what I've always wanted to try say hockey or netball can I come with you and try it because then I know that I'll definitely be better than someone and you know I love that I love nowadays I love being the worst at things because just giving people that that opportunity to go and just just make a fool of yourself there is nobody cares particularly in in grassroots sport they just want you to go have a good time see why they love their sport so much and just get something something out of it and um and lots of people started to get involved early on just to get me um at Woodend Bowling Club was a huge supporter of, of my challenge from very early and they got me along playing lawn balls and lots of my friends went along and um it, it's just sport for me was always scary people that you know that I went to school with that were really really athletic and they were horrible and bullies and I thought that sports as an adult it would be the same people but it's it's absolutely not as an adult people involved in sports tend to be just really love what they're doing and really want you to love it as well. So they're so welcoming. And it opened up this whole world of people that I would just never, I would never have engaged with, including including yourself. And I'm just so thankful for that. Well, I, uh, I'm i equally thankful and um, can't wait to, for the opportunity to, to really sit down and meet you in person. We've been Yay. friends online for a while now. And, and, <laughs> and you just amaze me. And the more I, the more prep work I did for, for chatting with you today, reading your blogs and looking at your website and all the things that you've done. And I'm thinking, my gosh, th this lady is, she's a social butterfly. How in the world could she ever have suffered from social anxiety? I mean, you're doing all kinds of media work. I mean, you've done this in, in a very public fashion, not just yeah. the Glasgow games or, or the Commonwealth games, but you're a writer. You've done motivational speaking. I've seen your Ted talk. You are a regular contributor to the BBC radio, uh, host yeah. a weekly show, my gosh, that's like a almost a. I guess the, the only thing I can equate it to is like a caterpillar turning into a morphing into an incredible butterfly, uh, something of amazing social <laughs> beauty. And I can't imagine talking with you now and about your experiences. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine that there's the old Paula as you describe her somewhere within you or was ever a part of you. Yeah, um, imagine how. Imagine how I feel about it, Glenn. If, you, well, if you're sure. that confused, by yeah. The <laughs> um, yeah. Some sometimes we sit down and you know the phone will ring and I'll just automatically answer it. And afterwards, you know, my husband will say, five years ago you couldn't have you couldn't have done that." And it's so strange to think back and to think that you know I was I was such a slave to my anxiety and and that I was struggling every single day just to get up and get out and nowadays I I just don't 
feel it sounds really really good but I just don't feel like there's that there's anything that that's not open to me anymore um even if I'm not good at it I'm not the best at it I'll still give it a try um because I think that's really what life's about and you know I spent 30 years not doing that and I'll be damned if I don't spend the next however many years I'm blessed with making up for that (laughs) well and your husband Jerry must be an amazing person but he must be thinking who is this woman this is not (laughs) this is not the woman that I married um how how has this impacted your your family and friends um well for a long time you know as as I developed and as as things progressed I I, sp- I said asked Jerry every single day for a while are we okay is everything all right you're not going to you're not going to divorce me because I, I've turned into this completely if he, different if he person. does if he does I'll marry you <laughs> thank you Glenn what a lovely offer um, <laughs> not very romantic but, but it's the truth <laughs> thank you um, but in his words you know, he's always known this person. This is a person that I always was with him. It's just that nowadays we can take this person outdoors <laughs> and other people get to meet him as well. <laughs> so I was always really relaxed, really comfortable with Jerry. He's a really, he's a really self-assured person. Um, he really, um, he just gets life. You know, he just, he just understands that he's himself and that, and that that's fine the way it is. And, um, and that's something that I've always really loved about him. But I've always really um, been been envious, I suppose, and um, he he just has been an incredible support to me. He never never once pushed me because he knew that this had to come from me. But when I decided that the change had to be made, he was right there, right with me. You know, with a camera, had to he had to hide in bushes at times taking photos <laughs> because I wouldn't let I wouldn't let anybody near me with a camera. So he looked awful at times just hiding in parks behind behind trees taking photos of me on a bike and but he did it all and um and now you know we we have this amazing bond because we've been through we've been through all of this together and he's he's such an incredible support to me I couldn't have I couldn't have done I know that he would that he would argue with this but I I genuinely couldn't have done this without him well, after the games, you didn't stop there. So I guess some people would say, oh, well, great. She's cured. She's fine. Good for her. <laughs> you went on to do a, a thing you called dream jobs, and, and yep. including training as an astronaut. And I've seen a picture of you that appears you did some wing walking. I'm, yeah. I consider myself completely sane, and I wouldn't do that. <laughs> so my admiration for you knows no bounds. Um, Thank you. So why that next step? What what took you from doing the sport to uh, these dream jobs, these really unusual occupations? Yeah. What was that? I around the time uh, of the end, at the end of the Commonwealth Games, I thought, right, that as you say, that's me. I'm fine now. Um, let's just go back to normal life. But I didn't really recognise normal life anymore. I didn't know what it was. I didn't. I didn't want to go back to my old life, and I didn't really know what my new life was without adventure. So I thought. I'll just keep going and see and see what happens. And I was I was asked quite a lot at the time to speak in schools to young people um, about getting involved in sport and about confidence. And you know, when you're talking to when you're talking to kids, they always tell you about what they're going to do when they grow up. And and it kind of came to me that I'd always I'd always said to myself since I was old enough to open a book that I would be a writer. It's always what I dreamt of doing, and I'd never lost. I'd never lost a desire to do it. I'd just lost the belief that I would be able to do it. And I know that that, that happened to a lot of my friends as well. They, they always wanted to be something. But, you know, you get to a point in life when people start telling you to be realistic about your expectations. And, and I didn't want to be realistic anymore. And I don't, I don't want kids to feel that they have to be realistic. If they want to go out and, and they dream of doing something, then I truly believe that, that they can do it. So I wanted to show them that if, if this if this idiot could do it, then they could do it as well. So I compiled a list of all the jobs that um, that they've been telling me, and I went out and I tried them all. And, and what were some of the some of those jobs? So there were teacher and farmer and um, police officer, ambulance driver, um, racing car driver, uh, pilot, and. Um, as you say, astronaut. Yeah, so lots of lots of really disparate um, vets, lots of really disparate jobs, and 
Um, and it was difficult to, to get to do some of them because I wasn't wanting to do them as a, as a career. I just wanted to try them for a day or two. But but luckily, lots of really, really great organisations got involved and saw the benefit and, and the reason behind what I was doing and, and let me come along and, and try it out. What was your favourite experience of, of those different jobs that you tried? I absolutely loved being a pilot for a day. Um it was one of the most exhilarating things that I've ever I've ever experienced. There's a team, um, an aerobatics team called the Blades here, who do um, you know who do all the big the big air shows. They're all ex Red Arrow, so all ex Royal Air Force yeah. pilots, um, and they took me up in one of their their planes, and we flew we flew loops, we flew barrel rolls, we. Um, we flew into the sky and cut the engine and fell back into the smoke. And it was just one of the most incredible experiences that that I've ever had. And, and they let me fly. They let me take over for, for a little bit and fly some loops. And um, and I just I felt like the queen of the world. <laughs> I was just thinking... <laughs> How how did this? How did I manage to get to get this gig? But um, but that was incredible. Um, I also loved. I went down to um, south of England with the UK Space Agency and tried the, the human centrifuge machine to test, my, to test my body against G forces. And again, um, one of the most incredible experiences. I got up to I think three point six G before my, my vision started to blur out. And um, yeah, it was. It was amazing. So, but the, they were all great. I loved, I loved weighing piglets at the farm. I loved, um, you know, I loved writing a book in a week. I, I, I loved um, teaching like five-year-old kids for a day. I loved all of them. I don't think there was one that I really, I really didn't enjoy. It was, it was great to just get that, that version of other people's lives and just, um, and just get to get to write, write about it. It was wonderful. I can relate a bit, and and I watched the video last night of your uh, your aerobatic uh, experience in the plane, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it really took me back because back in the seventies when I was a television reporter, um, I had the chance to fly with uh, an aerobatic pilot who was oh, wow. one of the pilots who did um, some of the uh, aerobatics in uh, the movie Top Gun. Oh wow! In fact, he was killed during the filming, sadly. Um, oh. But I got to, to fly with him, and we did some of the same. We did the barrel rolls and the hammerhead stalls, and and oh, flew in, flew inverted the length of the the, the runway. And, uh-huh. and I remember him telling me on the headsets, "Now, if at any time you're uncomfortable, just you know raise your hand, and I'll immediately come back to straight and level." Well, w- with the different G forces and hanging upside down and everything, I couldn't have <laughs> anymore raised my hand. <laughs> and so I, I think that was just a little bit of him tell, trying to make me comfortable. But oh my gosh! And I love to fly in, in anything uh-huh. that'll get me off the ground. Um, but it, it was pure joy watching the joy on your face and, and seeing that experience and, and that you. video is it, that's on your website. I know for people who if they yeah. want to go see it, and, and we'll post a link to that. Thank you. Yeah, it was just one of those one of those days that you are um, so glad to be alive and so thankful for absolutely everything that you've that you've been given. I, um, I, I just had never experienced anything like it, and and you described it perfectly there with pure joy. It, it, it absolutely was. So let's get on to the new, uh, the current challenge. Mm-hmm. We, we were talking earlier about the fact that you were thirty something and had never learned to to ride a bike. You also never learned to swim, and you've announced this plan to swim the entirety of mainland Britain in the open sea. Um, at the risk of being a bit blunt, Paula, can I just ask, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> you are not the first person to ask that. Well, good. I think my dad was. I think my dad was probably the first person. Yeah, um, not only had I not learned to swim, Glenn, I was aquaphobic for for 30 years I couldn't I couldn't walk over a bridge near water I couldn't um I couldn't go near particularly big puddles I was absolutely terrified of large bodies of water and it's taken me the last um four or five years since trying to learn to swim as part of the the Commonwealth Games the Glasgow 2014 challenge and now I'm just at the point I learned I properly learned to swim four four weeks ago (laughs) <laughs> You'd be glad to hear. <laughs> I am glad to hear that. <laughs> and next year, next April, I'll be embarking on a six-month, eighteen hundred-mile swim 
to be the first person to ever swim around the coast of mainland Britain. Wow. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I remember as a Boy Scout doing the mile swim, but that was in a pool at scout camp. I, I can't <laughs> fathom 1,800 miles. And, and I'd known how to swim since I was, you know, a wee lad. Um, uh-huh. I, okay. Where did this idea come from? <laughs> This one was a boat out of the blue. Um, it just I'd been thinking about, you know, I, I do I do adventures as a as routine now, you know, that's that's what I do. It keeps me really mentally well, it keeps me really um really fit and healthy and, and I really enjoy trying new things. So so I've been doing different things every week for the last couple of years. But um and swimming has always been one of those things that, that constantly keeps coming back to me because it, it's one of the one of my last remaining big fears. Um, as I say, I, I was phobic of water. I, I scalded myself as a toddler with boiling hot water and, and it's just manifested itself in this way. So I'd always wanted to do something big around swimming because I thought that, um, that again, that would kind of shake me out of the, out of the fear. And when I, when I realised that no one has ever even attempted to swim around Britain, it was just a red rag to a bull. I just, um, it wasn't, the idea wouldn't shift. It, I woke up in the morning thinking about it, thinking about it, and I, I would go to sleep at night thinking about it. And I just realised that I would I would have to try this. And um, and yeah, I spoke to spoke to Jerry about it, and he's always gung ho about everything. He said, "Fine, let's let's see if it's possible. Let's do it." Um, and and yeah, it just sprouted from there. And now I've got loads of people getting involved and wanting to you know swim a mile with me and offering their support. And I think people really understand that. Um, that this is about opening up a conversation about about mental health and about how activity is is great for mental health and and about how you can live a really engaged, really amazing, really um, productive and happy life with mental health challenges um, like I like I'm trying to do. And we should mention that in your previous challenges and certainly in this one, not only are you doing this to benefit yourself and your own mental health, but yeah. you're also uh, fundraising and have done this in the past to help others. I know in this particular case, you're you're raising m- money for mental health through a, yep. a Just Giving campaign. And again, we'll post links to all of that on the, the podcast show notes. Is that an important element to your, shall we call it therapy, to be able to do something that also benefits and helps others? Is that critical to what you're doing? It is, it is everything to what I'm doing, Glenn. Um, I, I never, I'm always really honest and say that when I started these challenges, when I became Paula Must Try Harder, it was a really selfish campaign. You know, it was a project to try to um, to help my, my own anxiety and to get myself re-engaged with, reconnected with the world again. But the only way that I can think of those 30 years of suffering, of um, of crying and panic in any way positively is that it has given me a platform to help other people if I hadn't lived those 30 years those really difficult 30 years if I hadn't survived those then um, I wouldn't be in a position to empathize with people who are going through the same thing now and I wouldn't be in a position to tell them that you can get through this that there is another way and that I will help you in any way I possibly can and for me that is the the best thing about where I've got to, you know, it's um, it's the only thing some days that, that keeps me getting up and, and getting out and doing this stuff is that maybe one person won't get to 30 and be locked in their house because they've seen that that it's possible not to get to get to that point. Well, I think it's safe to say you've probably helped far more than just one person already and no doubt will continue to do so. Thank you. Why? But but why? Britain, I mean, the entirety of Britain, <laughs> couldn't you just go swim Loch Ness? I mean, wouldn't that be enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it would be enough, um, Glenn, but, but enough isn't good enough anymore. You know, <laughs> um, I like to do things now that, that I shouldn't be able to do. I like to, I like to prove to myself, to, to everyone that, that there is no stopping us as as a species. I I truly believe in in the strength of people. Uh, I truly believe that we all have it in us to do incredible things. And and I know that there is nothing there's nothing special about me, Glenn. Absolutely nothing. I'm a completely average, ordinary person. 
it just so happens that the things that I do are a little bit extraordinary. Um, and I think that that's, that's open to everyone. You know, that, that little bit extra to make it extraordinary is, is open to everyone in life. And, and I just want to show that, that that's the case for, for all of us, even someone as, as, as nobody as, as me. Well, again, I would I would disagree that you're not just nobody anymore. You're you're Paula must try harder, and and, and I know you're quite an inspiration. That certainly I was drawn to your story because Thank I believe it, it's quite inspiring, and even more so now that uh, that I, through the course of this little chat, I've, I've gotten to know you a little better, and you're just an amazing an amazing individual, whether you believe that yourself or not. And I hope that you come to believe that at some point. Um, That's so kind, Glenn. Thank well, you. My pleasure. This is this has a lot to do with your mental health, this entire process, not just the swim, but everything that you've done to date. Certainly the swim is going to be physically demanding. There's no doubt of that. Yeah. Um, in fact, we had a you and I had a lovely interchange with someone on Twitter not long ago saying, you know, <laughs> she's going to do this in a bikini because of one of the press photos. You know. No. <laughs> and, and we were happily able to report that, no, you will be properly attired in a wetsuit, et cetera. I will be. And I know you'll have support, but um, but back to the mental health issue, those hours in the water are going to have to be quite mentally challenging, I would think. Mm -hmm. What is your preparation in in that regard? There's certainly the physical workout to get physically able to do this, but mentally, how are you planning to cope with uh, the strain, the stress, uh, to some extent, the isolation of it all? Um, That has to be um, has to be a major concern, I would think. Yeah, um, and I'm and I'm really really glad that you that you recognise that. Um, I think a lot of people think that these these big endurance um, events that some incredible you know adventurers have done have done wonderful things, and and people do tend to to focus on the physical aspects of it. But for a lot of people, for a lot of these things, it is the mental aspects of it that that will that will sink or, or swim you if you like um maybe shouldn't shouldn't use that analogy um but yeah it's just don't it's, get sponsored by anybody called titanic okay <laughs> thanks for the tip <laughs> um it's it's the you know it's those hours of being in my own head it's um it's it's the five hours of of being in my own thoughts that um that i I need to really prepare for, but I, th- I feel at this point that I'm in a really strong position because a lot of people do focus on the physical aspects and and they forget to, to train their minds. I've been on a you know a five six year <laughs> mental training program, if you like, of um, of overcoming barrier after barrier, of dealing with failure, of dealing with rejection, and and of getting back up and getting back on with it. And I think I'm in a really, really strong position mentally. And as long as I keep myself well and I keep focusing on that, I know that I know that I'll get through this. Um, everyone around me is incredibly positive about this. I I gave them a few weeks when I announced the challenge. I said, you know, you have up until this specific date to tell me all the pitfalls, to tell me everything that could go wrong. And after that date, you can no longer be negative about this because I need to go into this knowing that I can do it and knowing that it's going to work. Otherwise, I'm putting myself at a disadvantage. So I'm going going into it realistically, but really, really positively. Um, and anything that I achieve will be will be a real success for me. Well, that was going to be my next question. I know positivity, and, and, and I know I, I'm like you. I'm not an athlete in any scope of the of one's imagination, and yet I know enough about professional athletes, and I, I've read about you know visualization and and yeah. you know see the ball that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I know the positivity is important, but. You also say you're going into this realistically. This is a huge challenge. No one, no one has ever done it. You're not trying to be the yep. first woman to do it. No one yep. <laughs> in humanity history has ever done this. Yeah. Have you a coping mechanism in place for if mm-hmm. we go out and attempt it and find that you're not able to do it? Yeah, I think um, I always approach things with you know with positivity and saying and I always will say that um, when this happens and when I do it and I can almost I visualized the you know getting back out of the water at the end of it so much that I can almost almost feel the rock under my feet um but you know things happen and as I say over over the last five years I have dealt with so much failure you know there's lots of photos of me on on my website of me being really smiley and happy and you know doing these these activities but um I also have a lot of photos of me 
having complete panics and having complete episodes and and you know having to walk out on challenges and having to and but the thing that I do is that I go back and I try it again the next day and if it means that you know if if this time it doesn't work then I will just build up to the next time that I do it or or the next thing that I do I um you know I don't see failure as a personal slight anymore I see it as an opportunity to progress and and to grow and to develop maybe maybe something will happen that 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 puts the swim off that I need to stop whatever um that'll just be learning for me you know that'll just be another chance for me to to learn to how how can I make this better how can I do it better next time and that's all we can do in life you know we're all just trying to get through it the best way we can and that's what I'll do with the swim I'll try to get through it the best I can I will mitigate all the risk that I can beforehand and everything else I'll just deal with at the time um and then we'll see we'll see what happens so how can how can people help with this how can we best support you um how can how can we be a part of this you you can come and throw me cake um at the coast <laughs> next year <laughs> next year if you, if you want glenn i'll have i'll have to be eating eight thousand calories a day just just to maintain my weight so um oh. so that's all that's always invited but people can get involved by um we've just launched a kickstarter for for the film there'll be a documentary of the of the swim to highlight the swim itself but also the the conversation that i was talking about about mental health and about anxiety and living a, a positive life with it so there's a kickstarter campaign um it's under the big mad swim around britain so um people can certainly spon- uh, support that which would be really uh, appreciated also that you can just come on to twitter follow me p must try harder or on facebook or instagram get in touch with me and tell me it's a mad idea but that you are with me <laughs> that you support me and um, those messages will always always keep me going um, and if if anybody's struggling then I'm always I'm always happy to to hear from them and to give anyone support that I possibly can so so that's always available to people too and you have uh, you have the Kickstarter campaign to, to help fund the documentary you also have the, mm-hmm. the just giving campaign which is a, a yep. direct fundraiser for the mental health associations right yep it's for the mental health foundation um, who operate throughout throughout the UK um, and they're, they're, a, they're a great organization they, they support research into um you know ways, new ways to to deal with mental health and to to approach mental health and um i think that's all really we can do is to try to look for for new ways that um that we can support people and that we can that we can tackle mental health so so yeah there's a just given there's a just given for that as well again it's if you just look for the big mad swim around britain there aren't many of those so um, <laughs> so you will find it <laughs> Yeah, and again, we'll post links to all of these uh, connections on the uh, show notes uh, for the podcast. A couple of final questions then, and I guess a big question is, you know, you started this after 30 years of living behind four walls. You've now had four or five years of these incredible adventures. Is there an end to this, or will Paula have to be at uh, <laughs> at age 65 out trying senior golf or something with her after you know, is this now your lifestyle where there always be some sort of a, a huge challenge out in front of you I think so I am um, and you know if it takes for me to as you say be at, at 65 still out um wing walking and fire performing then <laughs> uh, for, for me to stay healthy for me to stay well and for me to keep other people um, feeling that they can be be well as well. Then I'm good with that. You know, I'm 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 happy to <laughs> I'm happy to keep going and keep trying these things if if it has the the positive effects that 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 it has been. Um, if there's a time when I have to stop, then then we'll see. But um, but for the time being, I intend to just just keep on going. Well, I can't wait to see what adventure lies ahead of you. Not only the <laughs> swim, but but what comes up. Um, after that i guess to wrap things up then paula i'm wondering if paula must try harder could have a conversation with old paula as you've uh-huh. described her what would you say i would tell her that it's that it's not her that that she's not anxiety that she is not fear that she is not nerves that she is paula and that she is bigger than all of these things these things are are part of her. They will always be part of her, but they are not her. That um, that she has so much to give. That she has 
so much to offer um, and that once she starts realising that, you know, anxiety has to has to put up with her rather than the other way about, then then things will start turning around. And it's the same advice that I would that I would give to everyone. Just talk about anxiety. Be be as open as you can be about it because it is not your fault. It is nothing that you should be ashamed of. Um, and that you know we can't cure many illnesses in the world by talking about them but we can make a huge dent in anxiety by talking about it and we just don't so we'd really need to start my thanks to my dear friend paula mcguire for sharing her very personal and inspirational story for more information including how you can help and support her see the links in our show notes at www.underthetartansky.scot and follow her on twitter at p must try harder Paula and I tried to meet up on my second trip to Scotland in 2015, but were unable to do so. I leave for my third visit in just a few days, and I look forward to finally meeting Paula and her husband Jerry while there. And while I'm away on holiday, this podcast will be on holiday too. To be fair, I'll be working on some days, gathering new interviews of Life Under the Tartan Sky to share here in the coming weeks. So please bear with me. I hope to have a new episode up on my return in about a month. During this break, there are more than 40 archived episodes on the website and iTunes on everything from bagpipes to whiskey. So why not catch up on any that you might have missed? Tell your friends about the show if you enjoy it. And I always appreciate deeply a brief review on iTunes as it helps others to discover the podcast and join us. Until next time. I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapalev, I guess Alapa Kubra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, tartansky. And thank you for listening.